Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. We appreciate that so much. And uh, congratulations to those who were baptized. I know we have many, many of their family members here with us this morning. So great to have you here to be able to participate in uh, our baptism. Uh, I do want to say that we still have a little ways to go with construction. As you can see, we have a, a couple rows open for uh, seating up there, but we'll eventually go all the way to the top. There'll be carpeting up there. We still have some work to do here on the stage. We still got to cage the drummer uh, in, in the near future. Uh, but anyway, uh, there's things that are coming together, and we appreciate your patience with us. We know it gets warm in here. Uh, the, the, the air conditioning unit was meant to, wasn't meant to cover the whole area, so that's coming also. So we're getting there. Thank you for your patience. Well, if you have a way to see God's Word, turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to continue what we started last week, uh, and that's the sermon on the call of God to serve. Now, uh, many of us in the room, I believe, are uh, taking experience in God, the study, the 12-week study. This is our first week. We're concluding our first week, and hopefully uh, your devotional time has meant something to you. I I'm just going to tell you, it, it can transform your life. Uh, it transformed my life 20, 25 years ago. I, I can't get the dates right, can't think back that far, but I definitely remember when God showed me some things in this uh, material. And I believe God wants to do the same thing in your own life. So I hope you'll take the lessons very seriously in your devotional life. Um, but today, what I'm doing, basically in the sermons over these next 12 weeks, is complementing what you're studying. And if you'll notice in the first week, and it will continue throughout the series, they really focus a lot of the attention on the character of Moses. And that's where we began last week, and that's where we're going to continue today. So we're finishing up last week's sermon. Now, if you look uh, at the, 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 the introduction, what you'll find there is that Moses' life can be uh, split out in three 40-year segments. Last week, we looked at the first uh, 40 years, and that was seen in the palace. So he's there, he's being raised by Pharaoh's daughter, and we notice he's getting the best education known to man in the world at that time. Now, today what we're going to do is look at the second 40 years where he's out in the wilderness. Now, if you were here last week, you understand that what has happened in Moses' life is he has uh, seen a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster, and basically Moses comes to the rescue and actually kills the Egyptian. As a result, Moses at that point runs for his life. He believes Pharaoh's after his life, uh, and so he kills that person. Now he's on the run. What happens next is the fact that he actually runs to Midian, and we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But I want to show you what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 11, says about Moses in the long run as it relates to him leaving Pharaoh's palace and going into the wilderness. Listen to what it says, or look here on the screen. Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. That would be the Hebrews. And to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, many of you know that Moses was a Hebrew himself. You know his miraculous story of birth and all that takes place out. We looked at that last week. But what we're seeing in Hebrews chapter 11 is the writer is basically talking about the faith of the Old Testament 
characters. And he's talking about Abraham's faith and Sarah's faith, Isaac, and so on. Then he comes to Moses and he says this about him, that Moses was one of those who chose the people of God over his whole background. So everything changes for him. But when he kills the Egyptian taskmaster, he literally runs. And I don't normally show maps up here, but here's a map. and We've got a big screen. You can see it. Here's a map. There's the map. You people are killing me up here. Okay. Oh, there it is. Okay. So what we have here is we have the map. And uh, I'm sure there was a glitch. I'm sorry, Daniel. But anyway, um, we, you have where in Goshen, that's where the nation of the Hebrews, was, that's where they were making their, where they were living. And of course, the Egyptians made them uh, slaves. And so they're there. And basically, Moses runs all the way down here to meet him. Now, most, a lot of the story of the people of Israel, once they get into the wilderness, is going to happen right here in the Sinai Peninsula. So basically, what you have is that Moses is running. And so what happens in this moment is the fact that he flees the median, and there he finds his foreign companion, right there on your island, his foreign companion. Basically, what he does, he settles in the home of Jethro. Now, this is not Jethro Bodine. This is just Jethro, okay? And so he settles in the home. Jethro has seven daughters, and one of them becomes his wife. And so we see how Moses, his life is starting to change. He leaves Pharaoh's palace, he's on the run, and he makes his home there in the wilderness. The next thing we see is Moses' flaming call, his flaming call. And the first thing that we get with the call are the cries of the people. So look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. Now, what you're seeing here, what's taking place here, is the fact that God is about to do a great work. He's about to do something about the bondage of his people. If you know anything about the history of the Bible, you'll know that they were slaves here for 400 years. That's many generations. They become a giant of a people, okay? And so basically, there's all these things that are happening. So God's about to do a great work. The first thing we learn in experiencing God, the first thing we see is that God is always at work around you. How many of you recognize that statement? He's at work all, all, always around us. Not just back in the Old Testament, not just when Jesus walked the face of the earth. He is still working in our world today. And it's very obvious when you look around, you see what God's doing. We saw it through the testimonies of those being baptized here today. And so we see that God is always up to something. Now, the second thing we see are not only the cries of the people, we see the covenant of God. The covenant of God. So look at verse 24. So God heard their groaning, okay? So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Now, does this verse say that, that basically, now that we know the history, does that mean that God forgot about them for 400 years? No, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, oh, I don't know, oh, I forgot about my people. No, he's, he's had his eyes on them the whole time. Even what those 400 years, what it meant was in the providence of God, and we don't have time to talk about that. But the thing that we need to focus on here is the fact that God remembered. It literally means he focused his attention once again on the covenant that he made with the Hebrew fathers. So look at verse 25. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. He saw their plight. 
He saw the need, and he's about to do something. So what do we learn in experiencing God? First of all, what we've already said, God is always at work around us. But secondly, God remembers his pursuing love relationship with the children of Israel. His pursuing love relationship. So once again, the covenant, and by the way, a covenant, when it comes from God, is God choosing to bless a people. He's making a promise to the people that they would be his people. And from it, from the language that we find in the Old Testament, it was God pursuing an intimate and personal relationship with the, with the Hebrew, with the Hebrews that we find here. Now, what does all that mean? God's heard the voice. He's heard the cries. So what comes next? Look on your outline, the calling of Moses. God is about to invite someone in in the work. So he knows he's going to do a work. He's going to do a great work. We know because we've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, right around Easter. So we know what's getting ready to happen. But the point is the fact that God is about to intervene and deliver his people. And so now he calls Moses to the plate. So look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of, of, of Jethro in his, in his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord, now some people would say this might have been Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus himself, but the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Now I want you to think about this day. Moses probably never saw it coming. He, he was an ordinary man out doing an ordinary job, and yet he walks up on this scene that's about to play out. So it says in verse 2, So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. This called his attention. This, this, was, this was kind of freaking him out a little bit. So look at verse 3. Then Moses said, now think about this, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. I mean, can you imagine the way this is written? And so he does. He looks. His curiosity, what God's Word is telling us is his curiosity was there. Now look at verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, Moses turned his attention, and then God speaks. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Now think about that. God is calling him by name. Did you know when God calls us, he calls us by name? The Bible tells us he knows us better than we know ourselves. How many of you know how many hairs you have on the top of your head? Now, there's some of you who, who could give us that number, but most of us cannot, okay? I'm sorry. I, I had to throw it in there. Anyway, but, but anyway, but, but think about it. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And then Moses, look at his response. He said, here I am. It implies I'm listening. I'm available. I'm hearing you. Verse 5, then God said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals, for the place where you stand is holy. What God is attempting to do in Moses' life, at this moment, he wants his undivided attention. At this moment, he didn't want anything between he and himself. But here's the ironic part of this moment. The fact that God, who is holy and just and any other name we can give him, is talking to a man who is not holy and just and all those things. He is a man. He is a mere man. And yet God is calling him. He's prepared him for the calling over the first uh, over the 80 years that we've discussed. And now he's ready to move him to what will be a defining moment in his life. So look at verse 6. Moreover, he said, 
This is how God introduces himself. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's basically saying, I am the covenant God that has a relationship with the people of Israel. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Verse 8. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them to that land to, be, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place that's currently occupied by all these ites people, okay? So basically, what you have here is that God is basically saying, here's my vision. This is my vision for my people. This is what I'm after. Moses, I want you to be a part of the vision that I have for my people. Now, notice that God does not tell Moses that he would be the actual deliverer of the people. God himself would be that. But God was asking him to join him in that feat. Now, that's a big deal. And by the way, did you, let me ask you a question. Could God have done this without Moses? Absolutely. But God chose to use Moses. The same thing is true of us. God can accomplish anything he desires in this world. But the fact is, he so chooses us in joining him in his work. And that's where the person, the personal part of that relationship that we can have with him, that's what the intimacy of the relationship can have with him. So basically, when God calls us to serve, he's calling us into a more defined, intimate relationship with him. And that's what we see here. So basically, God has the vision. He just wants someone to be the instrument to carry it out. So look at verse 9. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, of which I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out. Bring my people out, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, what's the third part of experiencing God? Here it is. God is literally, as it relates to Moses, invites Moses to become involved with his work. But let me say this. All of a sudden, God is telling Moses his big plan. And he's basically inviting Moses to join him. And he's like, Moses, guess what? You're going to be my mouthpiece in front of Pharaoh. The mightiest army in the world at that time, the greatest nation at that time, I'm going to let you go into that moment, and I'm going to let you go and be my spokesperson. Now, what do you think Moses was feeling at the moment? I think it was what many call a do-what moment. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, you want me to do what? But let me tell you something I've noticed about what God calls us to do sometimes. A do-what moment here for Moses is going to become a defining moment. And you see, so many times we give up on God coming out of the gate. Or we, we don't obey God coming out of the gate. And, and so therefore, it's one of those moments where we, we say, do what? And we can't get our minds around it. We can't get our hearts around it. And we just keep coasting through life when we sometimes miss that defining moment. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God said this. Now, he was speaking to his people. But we are his people now, right? So it applies to us. He's, he says, for I know the plans I have for you. You, you know what he could be telling Moses in, in relation to this? He could be saying, God, he could be saying, Moses, I've prepared you for this. Forty years in Pharaoh's palace. 
you got the best training in all the world. You, you got the best training. Uh, 40 years in the desert, and, and I've shown you uh, what the desert consists of and how things move through the desert, and I've prepared you 80 years of preparation, and you're here. But here's what's interesting. 40 years before this moment is when Moses killed the Egyptian taskmaster, 40 years ago. You know what I see? I see God, I see where Moses had a passion for the people, but he began to do things in his own time. Let me ask you a simple question. Have you ever done things in your own time? Have you ever just kind of took charge of your life and said, I'll, I'll take it from here, God? How many times has that been a mistake? And so what we have here is that basically Moses was attempting to do something in his own strength, in his own time, with his own failed preparation. This, however, is God's timing, where he is right now. So God was preparing Moses, even though he missed it, how many of you have missed it before? And God still came through. It's through his providential care and his love for us. He still comes through. But Moses didn't see any of this. He's still sitting there. And here's what I believe happens. I believe he goes from the do what moment to the what if moment. God is moving him towards the what if moment. But Moses won't give him the response that God, I think, is looking for. So the first thing we see here, look on your outline. We see the concerns or the excuses of Moses. How many of you, you know God has asked you to do something and you didn't do it? Think about the excuses we give God. Did you know none of those excuses are new? How, how many times, how many, let me ask you a question. How many of you sometimes think, you create certain things. I, I remember this statement. How many of you have heard the statement? <laughs> and, and my wife's big on, uh, on, this is the way she thinks. How many of you heard the statement, woulda, coulda, shoulda? Did you know for many, many years I thought I made that up? I really did. I thought I made it up. I, 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 I just, my wife, I, she would even clear, clear her throat. I'd say, woulda, coulda, shoulda. And then kind of find out I heard other people hearing it. And I'm like, where'd you hear that at? Oh, I've always known that. How old are you? Well, I'm 84. How long ago have you heard that? Oh, well, 100, 100 years ago. No, I'm just kidding. But the point is, we think we're the ones that are doing things. We think we're the ones that are saying what needs to be said, and it's out there. And, but here's what I want you to understand. Moses here is getting ready to give a list of excuses, but it's the same excuses we've used all along. But we think ours are unique sometimes. So the first thing Moses said is this, I have no ability. You want me to do this, but I have no ability. Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who do you think I am? God could have said, what do you mean, who am I? I'm the one who's prepared you for this moment. So look at verse 12. So God said, I will certainly be with you, and this, sign, this shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. He's basically saying, if you want proof, I'm going to give you some proof. When you, have brought, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You shall worship God right here. Do you know what God is actually doing to Moses? And, and this is so clever. And I've seen him do this in my life. Sometimes God calls us to a big task. But thank goodness, sometimes God just gives us the next step. He gives us just the very next thing to do. Because when we see the task, sometimes it's overwhelming, isn't it? But here's what he says. You just do this. 
get them to the point they're out of Egypt in this place in which they'll worship me. And basically God is prophesying because that's exactly what God, God is going to do in this moment. So we see he's saying, I have no ability, but he's giving them the first step. Next, Moses could have said, okay, God, but I have no message. I don't know what to say. I'm going in front of Pharaoh. I, 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 you know, I, I have no abilities that you claim I have. I don't even know what to say to this guy. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses is basically sitting here, and, and I kind of jumped ahead. It's really not the conversation he's going to have with her. How about when he meets with the, the people who want to be delivered? And he sits there across from them, and they say, well, who do you think you are? Who sent you? Who do I say sent me? Because I'm surely not going to have the answer. I have no message for them. And listen to what God said. And God said to Moses, you tell them, I am who I am, basically sent you. I am who I am. Now, how many of you have heard that phrase, I am? We hear it all the time. But do you know that a better translation of what I am means is this phrase right here? I am who I am. Nothing more, nothing less. I am who I am. If you take the characters of the Hebrew alphabet with I am who I am, it literally spells out Yahweh. Yahweh, which means covenant God. Covenant God, if you really interpret interpret what covenant God means, it means the God of covenant. It means a God who reaches towards people, who makes promises to people, who has intimacy with people, who have a personal relationship or desires a personal relationship with them. That is Yahweh God. And he's saying, tell them that's who sent you. Think about that. Jesus himself, what did Jesus say? He said, I am. He said, I, I am, I am. I mean, that's who he said he was, the same as, Jesus, same as God. And then we continue in verse 14. And God said, thus you'll still say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this will be my memorial to all generations. Think about this. God is calling Moses to a point where it will not only be a defining moment for him personally, it'll be a defining moment for God and his people, and he gets to be a part of it. What an invitation. And that's what he's telling him. Think about that. This is something that God sees as a defining moment. Verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, of God, uh, the Lord God of your fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. He's basically saying, tell them that I've seen it. I know exactly what's going on. Verse 17, and I've said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Ites, all those people, okay, to a land flowing with milk and honey. 
Verse 18, then they will heed your voice and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to be to the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, that we may go out there and worship him. Again, this is the first step. Verse 19, but I am sure that the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt, will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So God is basically saying, so I'm going to stretch out my hand, strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, they'll let you go. That's the 10 plagues that you know so well. He's talking about that. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it will be when you go. Once you're delivered, think about this. You're not going to go empty-handed. Now, let me tell you what happens. When they eventually are allowed to go, the people of Egypt are going to give them things for their journey. But it's based on the fact, yes, take this. Please go. Get out of here. Okay? That's the language that's, that's used there. But what's also interesting is that many of the Egyptians themselves, when they, themselves, when they see God on display, they're going to go with them. We find that right there in the text. And so basically, you, the end of verse 22 says, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. You're, you don't have to work hard at it. They're going to give it to you as you leave. Now, <clears throat> if you're Moses and you're those board of elders or whatever for, for the Hebrew children, what would you be thinking? This, none of this sounds right. First of all, we're going to go. And when we go, if that even happens, they're going to give us stuff to go? That doesn't even sound right. Isn't it amazing how God sometimes shows off like that? It's not just the mundane. It's not just the simple. He's going to put icing on top. How many of you ever noticed that? It's not what you expect. It's more than what you expect. And that's what he's saying. But what does it take? It takes a step of faith. It takes a step of obedience. And guess what? He's basically saying, and Moses is going to begin with you. Wow. <clears throat> Next, Moses says, I have no authority. I don't have that kind of influence. Chapter 4, verse 1, then Moses answered and said, but suppose. You know what he's saying there? What if? They will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. They're saying, nah. So the Lord said to them, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. Y'all, that means snake. And from Moses, and Moses fled from it. How many of you say, I'm with Moses on this one? Okay. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. No, I will not, Lord, at this moment. Okay. <laughs> I ain't doing that. But Moses reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Notice, now put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again. He drew it out. And behold, it was restored like all the, his other flesh. Then it will be, if they don't believe you there, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they, may, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. 
and it shall be done that if they do not believe these two signs or listen to your voice, that you may take water from the river poured on dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Basically, here's what's going on. God is saying, the signs I'm going to do through you will be all the authority you're going to need for this task. You just be faithful. You just go do what I've called you to do. God was knocking his excuses down one after another. But he had more, a fourth excuse. I have no eloquence. I don't speak well. I don't like speaking to large crowds. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I'm not, I don't think quick on my feet. Look at verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant. He's basically saying, I'm no better than when we just started this conversation. <laughs> and <clears throat> so the Lord said to him, who makes man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, uh, the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you'll say. He's basically saying, don't worry about that. I'll tell you exactly what to say. A fifth excuse. And this probably is where it all comes down with this one. Isn't it amazing how we go through our list of excuses, and most of the time the one that comes near the end is really the true excuse? And that's what we find here. He says, I have no courage. I can't do this. Verse 13. But Moses said, oh, my Lord. How many of you have ever said, oh, my Lord? <laughs> I mean, he said it several times here. Oh, my Lord. Please send by the hand of whoever, whomever else you may send. Lord, choose anyone but me. Anybody but me. How many of you have said that to the Lord before? And that's his plea. And that's what comes out. And that's what he's dealing with. Next, we come from Moses' Moses's excuses to the candor of God. Isn't it amazing how God sometimes will shoot through our complaints and our excuses? He just shoots through it all. And he brings it to where it needs to be brought. And that's what God's doing here. We see the candor of God. Look at uh, verse 14. <clears throat> so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And God said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I'll be with your mouth and with his mouth. I will teach you and what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. That means I'm going to give you what to say. And as a result, you give him what to say. Okay? Now, how did God say he'd rather do this? If you look back in the text, he'd rather Moses just handle this. Matter of fact, you're going to read in certain instances Moses eventually has the courage to do exactly what God calls him to do. And he's the one that will speak into the situations. So, Moses is not aware that he's been prepared for this task. So, what we have seen, listen, in this story of Moses, as it relates to experience of God, or how it relates to you, here it is. Number one, God is always at work around you. Now, I want you to think about it. Moses was called to fulfill a vision that God had for his people. He called him to fulfill a vision. 
okay? And so what you have here is that Moses is doing everything in his power to get out of it. But God's calling him to it. And so here's what we need to understand. Every bit of that work, everything that's going to happen from that point on is from the vision of God. God's calling him to it. Did you know that every generation of believers has a vision? That God has a vision for them? Did you know that? Did you know every church, God has a vision for that church? Did you know that every person who knows Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he has a vision for that, per for that person? You say, well, I haven't been called to be a pastor. I haven't been called to be a missionary. <laughs> We're not even talking about that. We're talking about the fact that he has a plan for you. There's something that he started in you that will not be completed until you see Jesus face to face. That, that, that you are his workmanship. That when you were born, he gave you certain things to carry out what he's called you to do. And as you lived your life, he was preparing you along the way to fulfill the calling that he placed in your life. It's exactly what's going on. But he's at work all around you. And secondly, he pursues a continuing love relationship with you that's real and personal and will be realized as you step out in faith to fulfill what he's called you to. Thirdly, and this ties in, God invites you to become involved with his work, his calling. He's prepared you. He's equipped you. And God will give you what you need. And you know what we learned from this story? He'll bring the right people in your life to help you pull it off, to help you pull it off. How many of you have heard people say, well, <clears throat> I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have a praying mother. I, I wouldn't be where I am if grandma didn't pray like she prayed for me. I wouldn't be where I am if my dad didn't speak words of wisdom into my life when he spoke those words of wisdom. You, you, know, what, you know what they're saying? They're saying, with the life that God gave me, he put the people around me to help me fulfill what he called me to do. And y'all, that's not just for a, a physical family, it's for a church family also. He's put us, one another, in each other's lives to be cheerleaders, to be encouragers, to say you can do it, to say take that next step of faith. Just see what God will do. God brings people into our lives. So here's the application. What has God prepared and called you to that you may not be seeing? What's he called you to? Some of you may be sitting in here and, and you may be maybe looking at these students or college students. You might be saying, I sure hope y'all are hearing this. I wish I had heard that when I was your age. I know. I, I know y'all tell me that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. If you're still breathing, he's not done. He still has a vision. He still has a purpose. All you're doing when you say no is just giving him a list of excuses. He has a purpose for all of us. He has a plan for all of us. Secondly, if you know, if you know what it is, what are the excuses? What are your excuses for not fulfilling it? <clears throat> Why aren't you doing it? And then thirdly, God is serious about the callings on your life. Are you? Did you catch that phrase where Moses lined up those excuses and God said, and, and it said, and God was angry towards Moses? You know why? Because he's serious about what he calls us to. He's serious about it. And he desires us to follow him. So, so how, where, does, where do we take all this? 
Well, I believe here's the conclusion. When you really wrap it all up, here's our biggest problem, okay? So look at the conclusion. What makes a life valuable? We began with that question a week ago when we started this whole sermon. What makes a life successful? A life that fulfills a calling placed on it. When a do-what moment overcomes the what-if moment to become a defining moment in a person's life. So I want to ask you, do you have a defining moment in your life? I hope your first defining moment may have been when you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There was a, a moment where the Holy Spirit convicted you of something that you needed to take care of. And you began to move in that direction. And you entered into a personal relationship with Him. Guess what? It doesn't end there. Those people who were being baptized here this morning, those people who came and, and made a public declaration of their faith, that they placed their faith in Jesus Christ, it's just the beginning for them, just like it is for all of us. So where are you in that process? I, I want to share something with you, and, and it's kind of personal to me. And, and please understand, I'm not bragging on me or necessarily on the church. We have, we have to be very careful as a church right now that we don't allow pride to come into this place. Because God's doing some pretty amazing things. I'm just going to be honest with you. And we got to be careful that we don't let pride set up. But here's what I've seen. I have seen some pretty amazing things in this church over the last 30-some years. And it didn't begin with this pastor. It began with the pastor before me. But God, let me just tell you, God has been laying out a vision for this church for many years. And what we're seeing in the weeks that we've been here together, and this, the outflow of what God is doing, and the baptisms, and the great work on the mission field and all the things that are happening in our hearts is the culmination of all those visions that he's placed on this church and people who got serious about it and people who weren't willing to hold on and say no we're we're not going to do what what God's called us to do uh-uh we don't like change and we're not uh, no we don't even think about it but this has been a church that welcomed the vision of God for the most part this has been a church of senior folks who, who allowed their church to become everything it needed to be for God's glory to continue to reach the generations. Did they have do-what moments? Yep. And I was the one throwing it at them many times. Did they have what-if moments? Absolutely. And that's what took the deacons and other pastors and myself sitting in living rooms and having luncheons and saying, here's what we think. This, this will be great. We're going to see God move if we could just get this straight, if we could fix this and do this. Well, where's this, this coming from God? And it has been all along. You know why I know it's been from God? Because we're seeing great fruit. But secondly, because it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy. Listen, the thing God calls you to will not be easy. I mean, you're, you're fight, you're, listen, what he calls us to, think about what we're up against. We're up against our own dysfunction sometimes. We're up against our own fears. My, mine were, and I had to identify that along this path of, of journey that God's called me to lead this church. I had to realize I had a fear of failure. I had a fear of rejection. I had to work through those things or nothing was going to happen in and through me. And other people had to do the same thing. And you know what was so cool about it? He put the right people at the right time in the right place that had a like heart to say, yes, let's do it. Let's do it. And y'all, this place will always be a special place. Now, could we get it wrong tomorrow? Yeah, we could. 
could we have pride and look back and say, look at what we did and everything just stopped right now? Yeah, it could. The work's not done. How do you know it? Because he said he will complete it until the day we see him face to face. And it ain't done yet. We got a long ways to go. Long ways to go. Will you pray with me? Father, I just come to you right now, and I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that, that, that you do care for us, Lord, that you, you desire to have a relationship with us. And Father, I thank you that the fact that you are working all around us, and, and we've even identified some things in which you're working through and in, and people that you're working through and in, and, and seeing what's been going on here in this church for the last 30 years, Father. It's just been amazing to see it, it unfold the way you obviously said it would unfold. But Father, I thank you for people, for some who had to take big steps of faith, for others, just simple obedience. For others, maybe they got left behind because they weren't willing to, to go where you were leading. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you allowed us to continue where we are. And Lord, we pray and we know our only hope is for you to continue that work. But Father, I pray for each individual in this room that we all realize that you are working around us. You desire a personal relationship with us in such a way that you're calling us into that calling, into it, that you can literally, as we've seen around here recently, just show off through our lives. We thank you for it. We thank you for what you're doing and what you desire to do in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.